Quote, in my work with elite athletes, I have to know whom I'm dealing with, their mental strengths and weaknesses, how far I can push them, how far they're willing to go. One day during the off-season, I looked around my gym at a dozen all-stars and another dozen potential all-stars, all playing in our NBA-caliber summer pickup games. Every player there was considered quote-unquote great, yet each performed at a different level with different motivations and limitations. Some were willing to go full strength every quarter, others were content to just play a little summer ball. And that's fine with me, but I pay close attention to the subtle differences that show me how serious someone is about getting ahead of everyone else. Let's face it, at the highest level of success in any area, everyone has reached some degree of outstanding achievement, so we're talking about shades of greatness. But if you want to be the very best of the best, it's the details that make the difference. Tim Grover, from his book Relentless, and Grover was the trainer to Michael Jordan and to Kobe Bryant and Dwayne Wade and a number of other top basketball players of, of all time, really. It's, it's a fun book. It's, it's, it's very philosophical almost. It's not, uh, it's not go do X push-ups. It's kind of talking about, you know, kind of mindset and approaches. And I think the book's worth reading just for the Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant stories. There's some, some gems in there. And there's like a few points I think are great. And there's some objectively true things. And then there's Grover's opinions. Fun book. But Grover's clearly worked with some of the people that are the best uh, in what they do in the whole world and, and knows a lot about that. So in this episode, I want to talk about the normal scale versus the elite scale. And I think it's useful first to clear up a key concept mentally. And second, it's going to help you potentially if you're putting together or leading teams. And third, this should be helpful in setting standards for yourself and doing self-evaluation and especially around selecting uh, what comparisons you want to use for if you're getting good at something and selecting materials to learn from and, and, and people to emulate. So the basic idea is quite simple. Someone says to me or to you, so-and-so is really good at something, right? Johnny is really good at chess. I'll often reply, really good on the normal scale or the elite scale? And everyone knows exactly what I mean, at least among the people I talk to. Uh, I've never gotten a confused look or really had to explain it. In fact, sometimes I start to explain it, and you know, by that I mean, and they're like, people cut me off. They're like, no, 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 Sebastian, I get it. But anyone can listen to this podcast. You might not have the same context and culture that I do in my social circle and professional circle and whatnot, so let's explain. Let's do a little groundwork. We'll get super practical in a minute, but let's do some groundwork. When I use the word elite, I'm using it in a colloquial sense. Michael Jordan is an elite basketball player. Tom Brady is an elite quarterback, and so on the highest of high performance in a field. The word elite is actually really interesting. I won't go too long into history and etymology too much, but believe it or not, it comes from Latin, elegire, meaning elected or selected. Went from Latin to French, then we adopted it into English. And you know when uh, like a leader of a country will sometimes say, uh, I've got a hand-picked group of the best scientists to work on this problem. Yeah, that hand-picked, that's the old meaning of the word elite. It means hand-picked. Probably because you were really good at something. And or maybe it was because of corruption and nepotism, but that's kind of a perversion of what eliteness is supposed to be about. But, of course, that does happen. Beyond that, there's a whole field of really interesting stuff around quote-unquote elite theory and sociology, like who are the people making really important decisions in the world, the quote-unquote power elite, you know, the head of Harvard, the head of the Wall Street Journal, leading senators on the key committees in the USA, maybe the top attorneys and lobbyists, 
that sort of thing. Who rises to the top? What are their characteristics? Where do they get educated? How do they know each other? How do they socialize? It's really interesting. Wikipedia has a bunch on it. Elite and elite theory are both fine jumping off points. If you're curious, I don't necessarily agree with the whole methodology and assumptions in that field of study, but it is interesting. It is, however, not what we're talking about. I'm using elite in a really casual colloquial sense for really, 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 really good at something. And then, you know, it doesn't apply to everything, but more on that in a second. And before we go on, I think some people have an innate hostility to the word. Fair enough. I'm open to other words. Um, but I'm also sensitive to one particular principle of branding, uh, actually, you know, marketing and branding, which says that if a word only has positive connotations with no downsides, it's a very hard thing to, to own and keep. Any company can claim that their products and services are high quality. Therefore, high quality doesn't really mean anything. If anybody can claim it, it doesn't mean anything. Handcrafted or the most expensive components, these have downsides, so they are defensible. You can claim them and people will be like, okay, if you're saying your stuff's handcrafted, it probably is. It's not mass produced. If you're saying you use the most expensive ingredients in your food, you know, McDonald's can't claim that. They're clearly not, right? So, so sometimes the negative words are more helpful, right? You know, it's kind of like, oh, okay, granted. And, yeah, so I think the fact that the word elite has some negative connotations makes it a good word to use here. If I replace the word elite with excellent or great or something like that, uh, you know, I think the lack of negative connotations might actually be a disservice. So I don't love the word elite per se, uh, but I actually like that it's got some, some, some negative connotations. It implies oftentimes a lack of balance and obsessiveness, perhaps an aloofness for people that you don't, you don't also think are elite. Maybe it crosses over into elitism, which is uh, pretty close to a synonym for snobbery which I'm not a fan of, but you know, like I'll take the negative connotations. I'm open to a better word than elite, um, but I don't see the negative linguistic connotations. It's fully negative. So getting into it. When somebody says that someone is good at something, she's a great tennis player. He's a good musician. She's a great engineer. He's a terrific attorney. It's not clear how good the person actually is. So I often ask right back, normal scale or elite scale? And everyone knows exactly what I mean. Normal scale. Oh, okay. That person is probably really solid. Elite scale. Whoa, really? So I promised three things at the start of the show. I'm going to help clear up a key concept mentally, help you if you're putting together or leading teams. I'm going to help you with uh, you know, your personal standard setting, your personal self-evaluation, and selecting your, your comparable, your mental models, and where you learn for. Uh, this concept's been floating around my social circle for a couple of years. Um, but the genesis for this show is that I've been training physically lately, I'm doing a couple hours a day of fitness and training, mostly endurance, biking and weighted rucking, um, a little bit of strength and some yoga. And uh, this happened because our, uh, our CTO here at Ultra Working, Lee Knowlton, amazing guy, um, you know, we're always doing little experiments in our chat and trying to have good teamwork and good camaraderie. And uh, he was a champion level runner um, in high school. He was the San Bernardino city champion in the mile, if I recall correctly. And uh, he said, okay, I'm going to go run 51 miles this month. I've been out of running. I'm going to do 51 miles. I said, that sounds like fun. I saw him start doing this for a couple days and putting his progress reports and stats up, kind of a cool format we have internally. I said, you know what? I'm going to do 51 hours of endurance training. And the way he's running and, and 51 hours of the more slow and steady endurance training I'm doing are probably roughly analogous. It's, for me, it's like slow and steady, just put in the hours, build up slowly. It's not, it's not that taxing, you know, uh, not, not, not really that hard. And okay, so we start doing this and it's fun. We encourage each other and push each other a little bit. And you know, it's, 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 it's a good time. And then, you know, I'll get on the phone 
for a social call or whatever. And, you know, there's a little bit of catching up and people say, hey, so what are you up to? And I mentioned I'm doing this training and people say, whoa, you're training a couple hours a day, sometimes more. I say, yeah. Someone says, wow, that's really impressive, whatever, sometimes. And I'm like, well, no, I actually really don't think it is. And it dawned on me that I had not written about or talked about in the public domain, the public setting, uh, podcasted. I've never talked about the difference in my head between the normal scale and the elite scale. So training 14 hours a week physically would put you in the top whatever tiny percent of Americans. It means you're really getting fit quickly by the normal scale. Most people do way less than that. For a lot of people, it's barely all they can do to go put in two to three hours a week in the gym. Um, and that, that's even a pretty, pretty impressive uh, achievement if a person does that. Um, and 14 hours sounds like a lot. But on the elite scale, right? I have friends like my friend Greg Nance, who's an ultramarathon runner. He'll sometimes run 51 hours in a freaking row, not in a month, in a row, <laughs> you know, from time to time on this ultramarathon thing, right? So on the normal scale, 14 hours a week of fitness is a lot of fitness. It's maybe it's impressive. It's cool. It's whatever. But on the elite scale, it's, 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 it's nothing special. I'm, I think it barely gets you on the elite scale. I think this is the very, very low end of the elite scale. So if we were to imagine, you know, doing a percentile thing, right, from, from zero to 100, right, there's, you know, on the normal scale, you get into the top 1% of something. I might right now be in the, maybe approaching the top 1% of, of amount of hours of fitness, um, each week, each month that, that people do. However, among the top whatever percent, sometimes 1%, sometimes a fraction of percent, sometimes the top 10%, there's a whole other scale that goes from zero to 100. So you can weirdly wind up in a place where you're in the 99th percentile of the normal population at something, some sort of fitness, musical ability, mathematical ability, uh, artistic expression, business commerce, whatever, and you might be in the bottom 10% of the elite scale, and that makes sense, right? So you look at something like the National Basketball Association, everyone there is a 99.9th percentile basketball player. These are the very best of the best, and yet then you look at them, and, and then there's like rankings of how good the players are. You know, every team has, you know, there's 30 teams, every team has something like 10 players, so there's like 300 people, and the top players, you know, right now, uh, you know, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Jimmy Butler, you know, people like that are, are the most elite among the most elite, right? So on a normal scale, everybody in the NBA is ridiculously good at basketball. And on the elite scale, and maybe the elite scale starts lower than that. Maybe that's every collegiate athlete ever that plays overseas, whatever. It's, it's kind of fuzzy. But I like to, to think of it as... You know, if somebody's really good at something, are we, are we using the normal scale? Are we using the elite scale? And it, the elite scale is a different story. If somebody says someone's really good at chess, right, the, the, the game where you move the, the pieces around on the board, right, well, there's like normal, really good at chess, and then there's like, you know, like could hold your own maybe against Magnus Carlsen or at least belong in those rooms uh, when people are playing, you know, you're a whatever, international master, candidate master, grandmaster in chess. So... I think this is useful to get your mind around because because a lot of times we talk about somebody being very skilled or committed or good at something and we're not being clear as to who we're comparing to and I, I think one of the side effects of some of the confusion um, around this space um, is, it actually came from a great thing, right? So it used to be, for instance, 
that very few people went to college, right? Um, so, you know, college, universities, things like this. Um, percent of Americans attending college, you know, by year, you know, just off the top of memory, I want to say it was like a couple percent of Americans ever went to college a hundred years ago-ish, um, before the GI Bill at the end of, at the end of World War II and then, and then increased access. And so college was already always an exclusively an elite thing. Um, and again, you can see the two meanings of the word elite. You had to be an incredible linguist, mathematician, theologist to attend college or, uh, you know, have a boatload of dough and, and, and political connections and, and, and then you got in um, as a result of, of a parentage and, and getting set up with it, right? So those, you can see the two meanings of the word elite there. So in that era, getting a C grade in university that you were average among the very best people in the world at what they do, and some people mixed in because of, you know, whatever, family relations and whatever, but you know, um, nevertheless, among an elite group in the more broad sense, um, was not really a big deal. It wasn't really that shameful to get a C, right? Well, now a lot more people go to university, what are the 20 times, 30 times, 40 times as many people um, attend at least a little bit university, some, some huge jump. And now it's kind of like, well, being average among that group, C used to be supposedly supposed to be average, was, was now didn't look good. So, so now people that would have been very comfortable had they been attending university 100 years ago, getting a C are like, I don't want to get a C. I don't want to be in the middle of this pack. I want to get an A. And here's the problem. There's nothing higher than A on the college scale every now and then, you know, whatever, an A plus or with honors or whatever. But um, it, it becomes impossible to differentiate based on the common metrics when a lot of these institutions um, are, 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 you know, more accessible and open, which is a great thing. But, you know, there's like a person that gets an A and perfect scores in all of their physics coursework in university. And then there's people that perform at the Albert Einstein level, right, that perform at the Richard Feynman level, people that perform at the Maxwell level, people that really push things forwards. There's people that get straight A's in mathematics, and then there's people that do, uh, you know, work like, like Euler or Newton. And this is where I think it's useful to mentally have another scale in your head. So when you think about whether you're good at something or somebody else is good at something or committed or, or whatever, it's not just good at, it's a, it's a combination of things, it's, it's worth considering, is this a normal scale or an elite scale, right? So getting an A in all your coursework, that's, that's really good, right? Um, elite is like your, your, your Perelman and you're your working out the Poincaré conjecture for which uh, in his mathematics work, he got awarded a million dollar prize and turned it down, the Russian mathematician, because he's like, yeah, this wasn't about money and I don't like the money, I just want to do my math, right? That's, that's the, towards the high end of the elite scale, if not the top of the elite scale in mathematics right now. Right? So, as mentioned, um, I think this is useful first and foremost to get some clarity around it. A lot of times we'll describe somebody um, as being good at something, as being good at basketballs, as, as being a good accountant or whatever. Well, good is always relative in any of these fields, right? Um, you know, we're always comparing and contrasting. Um, you know, how, how, how good performance is when it's a, you know, kind of a relative thing. 
And yeah, I think it's worth clearing up and realizing there's, there's two different scales. I don't think there's any getting around this and I don't think there's any unifying it. I think they're just two different scales. And if somebody does not want to be on the elite scale, if they're just trying to be like solid at something, that's like totally fine. And I think giving those people a hard time is like totally wrong. Um, I think the top end of the normal scale, if we're going to try to use words, words are necessarily imprecise. Um, words, are, words are imprecise. I think the top end of the normal scale is something like very solid or like rock solid, right? So, you know, if somebody says that somebody's at the top of the normal scale as an attorney, they're a rock solid attorney. They communicate well, they understand all the relevant law, they understand all the relevant procedure, they understand how to put the facts down in order to make a case. And then there's like attorneys like, uh, you know, the late uh, Supreme Court justices Ginsburg and Scalia, not ideological or political, those two are very on opposite ends of the spectrum, but those were really at the top of the elite scale and writing crisp and clear, um, you know, rulings and, 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 and reasoning um, in what they did, right? And there's certainly no shame in being really darn good um, at some things on the normal scale, of, you know, being really just rock solid um, and not aiming to really change and shift the nature of jurisprudence with these really complex and, and, and swirling arguments, right? So I think there's two different scales. When somebody says they're good at something, you have to clarify, right? So, so I'm doing a good, pretty heavy amount of fitness training on the normal scale. It's, I suppose, somewhat impressive. On the elite scale, it's really nothing special. Um, maybe it's barely towards the bottom of it. Um, and if I keep at it for some years, then, then maybe I'll work my way up towards the low middle end of the scale. And that's totally fine with me. Um, and that's totally fine. Um, where this gets really interesting is around the standard setting and self-evaluation for yourself and, and also if you're putting together or leading teams, right? Because when you say you're looking for a really good designer, well, are you looking for Johnny Ive, who was at Apple and, and did amazing, amazing, amazing work with Steve Jobs? Or are you looking for someone that's just like rock solid? Solid, professional, smart, knows design, you know, can work well with them, good communicator, keeps the right stuff in mind, right? Because there's a difference. Um, there's a huge difference. There's a multiple orders of magnitude in terms of output difference, but it comes down to those subtle things like, like Grover was talking about, right? So to give another example, um, at Ultraworking, we do something called elemental rankings, and we do it every single week. And we have on there stuff like speed, finishing, prioritization, service focus, making darn sure everything we do is, you know, we keep in mind the specific... Um, cases of, uh, of our customers and the people we're designing and building for, uh, communications, how well we, you know, write agendas, communicate with each other, things like that. So we, we rank ourselves on those every single week. We did a whole podcast on this on elemental rankings you can go check out. Um, our scale there is an elite scale. So it's, it's zero to five, right? And two on the zero to five scale is competent. No problems, got all your job done. One is like slightly bad. We had some problems. Zero is like disastrously bad. Three is outperforming. Three is like went above and beyond what's to be expected. Um, three is like you did something special. You really were like above and beyond this week. Four is like the equivalent of all-star performance. So again, the National Basketball Association has 300 players, give or take, in any given year. And whatever, like something like 20 of them um, every year are all-stars. So like, you know, less than 
10% of, of already the top people in the world. So that's like really good. And then we classify five, just to put it at the top of the scale, to recognize that there is like legendary, right? So that's Michael Jordan in his best games at basketball. That's uh, Steve Jobs in, you know, pushing consumer electronics forwards and what he did with the, you know, with the, the iPhone and their whole team at Apple and, and that whole era. Um, and, you know, mathematics, this is Euler, um, you know, doing what he did. Uh, and, and, and so on, right? So nobody's put a five down as how they, how they performed that week yet at Ultra Working, and that's totally fine with us. Once you start doing this, this just makes everybody able to see the scale because like doesn't cause problems, gets your job done is two out of five. That's like solid. You could do that. And I say to everybody, hey, if we're always putting up straight twos, right? Prioritize reasonably well you know, work at a decent pace. We're ahead of schedule. We don't try to do too many things at the same time. We complete things quickly, keep customers in mind, communicate well, that sort of thing. And then you outperform and occasionally from time to time have an all-star level performance. That's a really solid team. That's a great team to work on. We don't need to be at all-star level in every single thing all the time. And from looking around the world, I don't see anybody that ever has. Maybe very, very, very small organizations like, uh, you know, the U.S. Army's Delta Force or the Navy SEALs, maybe the you know, out in Los Alamos when they were working on the Manhattan Project and got a bunch of the top scientists all in the world to work on it together during this urgent, you know, fight with Nazi Germany because um, they were afraid that the Nazis would build the atomic bomb first and, and, and would win the war in Europe, like nuke Britain and win the war in Europe. That's what they were afraid about. Um, yeah, so, so in those very rare short bursts of context among very small teams, you see multiple people consistently putting up all-star legendary performance. It almost never happens and you don't need it to build a successful organization. But it's worth asking, you know, is an A on our exams, is, is, that, a, is that an elite exam? Is that, is that a university in the year 2020 or is that a, a university in the year 1920 or 1820, right? Because these are just categorically different things. You know, it might be the case that getting a C grade at, at, at Harvard in 1820 would be more impressive than an A today on a field that hasn't changed. Right, maybe in, in pure mathematics, you know, in a course that 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 is covering the same ground that it did two hundred years ago, um, because the way we evaluate these things and the way we talk about these things has changed uh, since then. Right, so yeah, I think across the board, it's worth clearing this up mentally. What's really good look like, right? And if you're putting together a leading teams, what are you filtering for? Now, I don't think everything can be tiered into a normal scale and an elite scale. Um, one other thing that we do that uh, my, uh, my, my co-founder at the time, since left Ultra Working, still a really good friend of mine, amazing guy. One thing Kai came up with when we were putting together our original hiring um, workflows and, and application and, and uh, you know, people apply for a job here, uh, was we, we put something on there in our internal rankings of after you interview somebody, we, we, we run through a roommate test. Would this person make a good roommate? There's no such thing as being an elite roommate, as far as I know, right? Um, it's kind of like, you know, if you see a little bit of dirty dirty dishes, do you clean it up? Do you make a mess? Are you just basically courteous? There's, there's no really being elite on that. It's just like being a decent, thoughtful person. Um, and it's kind of yes or no that can lean to like strong yes or, or strong no. But it's kind of like, yeah, this person make a decent roommate. They kind of clean up after themselves, like kind of thoughtful, you know, do they put on loud music late at night or early in the morning without headphones and do knucklehead stuff like that? So there's no normal or elite scale there. That's just like, yeah, is this person all right? There's a lot of things like that. 
And you can't be elite at everything. It's mathematically impossible in terms of the time commitments and, and biologically impossible um, in, in most sports. There's just different adaptations that your body will go through. And, uh, you know, it's like the, the top marathon runners in the world are not the same as the top sprinters. You know, there's just different specializations of, um, you know, how you use and, and tune your body at the highest levels. So you can't be elite at everything. And you can't look for eliteness at everything, right? So when you're setting up or putting together a team, you want to be really, really clear on what areas are we looking for on the normal scale, where we just want the person to be rock solid, right? A very, very early company, right, does not need an elite, elite, elite accountant. You don't. You don't need somebody that can understand incredibly complex, um, you know, cash flow modeling around risks and depreciation and buildings and materials and inventory and all kinds. You, you don't need it. You know, you need somebody to, you, know, you need a bookkeeper to keep the books if you need somebody or you do it yourself. And then you need like a basic, uh, you know, just a solid CPA that communicates well, gets your taxes filled out correctly, no shenanigans, nothing going wrong. And that's totally fine. So you want somebody that's like solid, right? So you want somebody towards the top of the normal scale. Top of the elite scale, you know, if you're doing some pioneering type of hedge fund stuff or cryptocurrency stuff or, you know, you're writing complex um, contracts and insurance or derivatives or something, yeah, you might need a really, really elite accountant um, to be able to, to make sense of that and to make sure you don't run out of money and that you're in compliance with all the regulations and the taxes and whatnot. So getting really clear, both for yourself and for others, um, especially if you're putting together and leading teams, but also for yourself, when you look to be good at something and you try to see if somebody else is good at something, are you looking for normal good, normal scale? Nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with, you know, being a normal, solid, rock solid at what you do person. That's totally fine. That's what everybody wants. Nobody wants people that are like fundamentally unsolid and sloppy as their accountants or as their, you know, you know, designers or anything, right? Or are you looking for somebody that's capable um, and desires to do the super, super crazy, uh, special crazy stuff um, that, that leads to massive outperformance um, and innovation or, or really just disproportionate um, and intense outcomes, right? So that's worth strongly considering. And then finally, for yourself and for your teams, there's like two different worlds of media, information, education, role models, people you get advice from formally or informally. And you've got to know whether the advice is geared for people on the normal scale or the elite scale. And elite scale advice, in my experience, is a little bit harder to find because people don't like it, right? So a couple more quotes from Grover. Here's one. Being relentless means demanding more of yourself than anyone else could ever dream demand of you, knowing that every time you stop, you can still do more. You must do more. The minute your mind thinks done, your instincts think next, right? Here's another one. Success is about dealing with reality, facing your demons and addictions, and not putting a smiley face on everything you do. Okay, here's one more. From this point, your strategy is to make everyone else get on your level. You're not going down to theirs. Yeah, okay, this is like not any fun. You probably wouldn't want to train like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. I don't want to train like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. I go have my relatively leisurely, uh, I throw some weights in my pack. I've got weights to ruck around. And I just like ramble around a little bit with some weight in my backpack. It's not that big of a deal. Or I hop on a bicycle and I bicycle around a little bit. Or I do my, my yoga class one-on-one. -on -one. It's 
not that big of a deal. I, I don't, I don't want to be. I don't want to be Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant levels fit. I don't want to be anywhere near that. That's totally fine, right? Now, I read this sort of thing, um, and I put it in context, and I say, okay, there are things that I want to perform at that level at, and I am willing to pay those prices on, um, and there are prices. But it's not fun. Like, you, you read Grover, and, you know, okay, there's a little bit of, like, you know, selling the idea and, and, and pumping you up just a little bit. He says he doesn't do it, but he does. Um, you know, and, and so you get some of that. But, you know, a lot of the, the normal scale advice is things like there was a stupid thing, you know, a few, you know, a couple of years ago. It's like something like the scientific four minute workout or something. It's like, okay, we're gonna do a little bit of a plank, a little bit of, I'm like, four minutes? You do a four minute, I mean, like, that's nice. I suppose it's good to do a four minute workout instead of nothing, but like this, this is, we're gonna claim that you're gonna get really fit in four, four minutes. This is so stupid. This is just clearly, obviously stupid. I know people that are elite athletes, that are really elite athletes, and they don't work out for four minutes. But this is like, this was like claiming or at least implying that you're gonna be rather fit if you do the whatever, the scientific six minute workout or whatever the stupid thing was. Um, when sometimes elite people get into trouble because they, they, they give elite people advice in the normal and they almost always get backlash. Um, Mark Cuban, a number of years ago and since deleted tweets, recommended that everyone get their blood work um, done, you know, their, their hormones and their, um, you know, any deficiencies and whatever, just preemptively once a quarter. And blood work should be very cheap. You should be able to get your blood work done for under $50. In some countries, it's like 5 to $10. In the United States, where you can't even get cash prices on everything, who the heck knows how much it's going to cost you if it's covered by your insurance or whatever. But it should be quite cheap to get your blood work done by a lab. It's The prices have come down tremendously, and science has gotten much better, and the medical technology has gotten much better. It's, it's not expensive to take blood out, phlebotomist, take a little vital blood out, get your stats a few days later from the lab. This is like cheap. I've gotten this done for $5, $10, $20 in different parts of the world. Um, on some pretty complex stuff to understand where I was at. So Cuban recommends this, and this is something that, you know, a lot, most wealthy people do, I think. Um, I don't know, I haven't done any fancy surveys or something, but this is quite common, just get your blood work done as a screening thing. Then also I feel like levels are changing over time later if you get some diagnosis, something's wrong with you, doctor's got long history of, you know, all your biomarkers from your blood. It's helpful. You get a huge pushback, there's all kinds of negative articles about you know, if people do that, they're going to freak out when they get their results. There's going to be natural anomalies from time to time, and these people are going to over-medicate and over-treat it and whatever, and people are just bulldogging on them. And I'm like, this is fundamentally correct advice. If you know how to read science and you're willing to look into it and you don't panic. But actually, the people that were answering on a population policy level are probably somewhat... I was a little bit offended by the, re the reaction that he got to that. I thought this was like like a little bit bad, like that the, the didn't say it this way, but there was a little bit of a, these people are too stupid to look at their own blood work um, without freaking out, rebuttal to Mark Cuban. This was the argument being advanced by, by some kind of very mainstream science policy making and, and journalist people. Um, and, and we're kind of bulldogging on him because of that. And yeah. So it's like, you know, there's like taking a normal approach to your health, and then there's like the elite scale approach, which Mark Cuban, as a very wealthy person, does. But again, getting your blood work done is not that expensive. This is affordable, um, or should be <laughs> in America. Who knows how much things cost? But, you know, you get hints of this from time to time. And, you know, like normal scale advice is like drink water and eat a piece of fruit. And then like elite scale advice is like, all right, go through your biomarkers, drill into this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, right? But people react a little negatively to it sometimes takes a little more work. 
Um, and a lot of times it's like unpleasant. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's like, you know, playing chess or board games or, or video games for fun. And then there's like how the top professional Korean players train for StarCraft. It like ceases to become fun at some point. I'm not sure if they're actually having any fun when they train to have 500 actions per minute. That's kind of uh, 300, I believe, is the cutoff of how many actions you could take on your keyboard and with your mouse to be a top StarCraft player. See, they, like, they're literally like working on their wrist positioning and doing physical fitness with their fingers and stuff to be able to just enter the commands fast enough to follow along from their mind. So, you know, like the advice of like how to become pretty good at StarCraft and have fun and beat your friends, and like the answer to like how to become like top in the world at it are just different advice. And, you know, when you go look up a YouTube video on how to be good at StarCraft, you're gonna see more accessible, normal scale things, just like basic fundamentals, not the really advanced hard work, often painful things. And that's totally fine. That's totally fine. Um, I have ceased to give, you know, out in public, uh, elite scale advice generally without qualifying or, 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 or quantifying it or hedging it a lot because it's offensive and somebody will rightfully come up and say like, you shouldn't even recommend that to people. They're going to hurt themselves, right? So it's my friend Greg Nance who runs 100 miles at a time and often runs stupid miles every single day and whatever. If he said, hey, here's my running plan. I recommend you try it out. He would rightfully get criticized a lot of people like, hey, most people cannot safely do that and don't want to. What are you doing? You're going to give advice that's going to hurt people. And yet, when you're getting advice that's along the lines of, oh, don't make sure you don't do too much here and there because you're going to hurt yourself or whatever. Uh, it's like, well, no, the human body and the human mind is capable of a lot if you actually want it. Yes, you do have to get educated. You have to put the proper defenses in. Yes, it requires a high level of commitment. But, you know, working out for a couple hours a day is not a big deal. Like farmers... Like many of our ancestors who were farmers and ranchers and whatever did way more physically taxing stuff than what I'm doing and it just really wasn't a big deal. It's very easily done what I'm doing. Um, and yet nobody would recommend it. Even recommending it would be kind of seen as, I don't know, it's a faux pas. So bear this in mind. Um, and, and also don't try to think you can be elite at everything because you can't. It's just, it's both mathematically impossible in, in terms of all the different fields that are available and in terms of the different athletics and, and stuff, it's, it's, it's biologically impossible to, to, because there's different specializations, right? So when you do get into it and think about this sort of thing, you, you pick and choose very carefully what fields you want to be elite at, if any. And if you don't want to be elite at anything, like, like nobody likes to admit that, right? Nobody's like, I, I really don't care. I'm like, I'm just fine having a de decent, solid life. I think there's something admirable in that, and I'm certainly not putting that down. Um, but if you do want to be elite, you, know, you pick one or two things. You only seek out advice that's geared towards people that want to be elite in it. You don't listen to the advice for the normal. Eat a vegetable each day. Oh, really? No, really? Eat vegetables. Oh, get out of here. Wow, that's... Huh. I don't know if I could do that. That's scary, right? Um... So you actually look up how to, you know, get the elite advice in order, um, and, and then you then you work through it, um, and and you get there. And likewise, when you build teams, you figure out which skills, um, which skills and, and traits and styles are you looking for elite performance, not normal performance. You want the high end of normal performance in just about everything, you know, just people just being solid. Um, but like, where where would you benefit from really elite performance on your teams um, and your culture, and making that clear and establishing that? So. That's what I have for you. It's a little mental model. It can clarify for yourself. It's also useful in conversation. There are some negative linguistic connotations to the word elite, so be careful. Every now and then someone's like, how dare you, blah, blah, blah. Say that there's, I'm like, well, come on, isn't Michael Jordan a better basketball player than you know, a number of other players, right? Um, but, uh, but, but for yourself and for your team, it's like, okay, on, on what standards are we looking for elite performance? Are we looking for you know, elite speed and throughput? Are we looking for elite attention to detail and craftsmanship? 
um, or whatever else? Are we looking to have like elite efficiency and density of our communications? Right? You can train up to make your meetings super efficient and high impact and valuable, right? So things like that. So which things do you want to be on the elite scale on as opposed to normal scale? And then being able to make that, uh, that distinction when you're in a conversation with somebody else and they say, hey, I've got a good designer for you. They're a really good designer. Really good on the normal scale or really good on the elite scale? Right? You can even ask people, hey, on the elite scale, how good do you think this is? Different people would describe it different, different ways, but but, but it's very helpful in the conversation to kind of work it out mentally and go through it. So there you have it, uh, the normal scale versus the elite scale. I'm not at all doing the like, hey, get on the elite scale on everything, whatever. Like, yeah, whatever. Like, I think it's a perfectly reasonable decision to be just rock solid on the normal scale at everything that you do in your life and have like a happy, balanced life. I, at one point in my life, would have been like against that. I think that's marvelous. However... If you have a couple of interests somewhere that really just like catch you and would be really fulfilling, you think you'd make a great contribution to the world and have a great life, taking you know a few of your skills or abilities up to, to elite in an area, like it's cool, it is satisfying, it's hard, but it is cool and satisfying. So it's worth thinking about that too. And then carefully curating the standards you set for yourself, where you look for inspiration, who you learn from, and being able to filter and make a distinction of like, okay, this is advice that was given to 300 million people as to how to be fit versus this is the advice. Tim Grover is someone that's worked with two, you know, of the, the top 20 basketball players of all time, right? Millions of people have played basketball. Grover has trained two of the top 20 of all time, including, I think, number one, Michael Jordan, right? So he's who you want to learn from if you're trying to be the very best at basketball. And if you're not, that's also totally fine to just like get the you know, whatever, the USA Today version of how to shoot hoops a little better or, or, or get your mental toughness going on USA Today style, right? So as you like. Hope that's useful for you. Success is about dealing with reality, facing your demons and addictions, and not putting a smiley face on everything you do. Tim Grover. That's all right. I don't know. We could do that if we want, or we could put a smiley face on things too. Either way we like. Until next time, good luck and Godspeed, dear friends. Good to be podcasting with you once again.